0: hey true crime friends welcome back to another episode of true crime in academia i am your host mary de First of all, I hope you are all having a wonderful week so far, or start to your week so far. If not, that sucks, and I hope it gets better for you. Secondly, I have some housekeeping. Um, If you are not a follower of True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok, then I suggest you should become a follower. Just type in at True Crime and Academia, and you will find me on Instagram and TikTok only. Also, don't forget to follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram as well as at the Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter. And if you just search on Facebook, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, you will find us. Secondly, the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, we are having our book club, IG Live, on June 5th at 8 o'clock. We will be discussing Zach Sala's novel, Let's Get Back to the Party. It is our book for Pride Month. So if you're a huge avid reader out there and want to join in on the conversation, check out the book and join us June 5th at 8 o'clock. If you enjoy the content and what we do here, please then go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a patron. Starting in June. Yes, in like Two weeks. June I will be having extra content, exclusive Patreon only content. That means I will be covering cases that I have not yet covered and they will only be available on Patreon. So every month I will have one extra special episode that is exclusively for patrons. So if you want to get in on that, you need to go to patreoncom room and become a patron. Lastly, I just want to remind you that True Crime in Academia is a podcast that is strictly for educational purposes. I do not condone any of the behaviors talked about on this podcast, obviously. And just a reminder that all people are innocent until proven guilty. So with that... This case is definitely one of those times where we need to remember innocent until proven guilty. It, I don't the trial hasn't happened yet as far as I can tell. I have looked to try and find information on this trial. I just not have found it yet. So, I will be using the word allegedly a lot because obviously this person has not been convicted. So, this case is a sadly is a missing person's turned murder case. Um, we are going to be talking about the disappearance and murder of Michelle Marie Meredith, who was a student at Southeastern Illinois College. Um, It's just, again, overall really sad and still ongoing, but I'm going to give you as much information as I can. And with that, let's get into it. On the evening of March 12th, 2001, Saline County Sheriff's Department received a call stating that a 19-year-old college student had gone missing after notifying her mother that she was on her way home and never showed. Sadly, a few days later, on March 14th, the police responded to a call and found the missing woman's body in the middle of a cornfield not far from where she was from. Michelle Marie Meredith was born on June 18th, 2001 in Carbondale, Illinois, to her parents, Michelle Meredith and John Christopher Miller. From what I was able to research, it seems like Michela had a normal home and family life. It seemed that she had six brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews. So basically, she came from a really big family. Michela also attended the Star General Baptist Church in El Dorado, Illinois, and was a student at Southeastern Illinois College. Her loved ones and family described her as a sweet person who was always smiling and who enjoyed a close relationship with her family. An unnamed family member described Michelle as a sweet girl who was very close with her family, loved life, and always had a smile on her face. She was also described as a young, beautiful, and caring soul. Michela was last seen on Friday, March 12, 2001, around 7 p.m., her mother said that she had spoken with Michela and told her that she was walking home, but Michela never made it. Police searched for Michela, and the investigation led them to a home on the 800 block of High Street in El Dorado, where they found, sadly, evidence of a homicide. That Sunday, March 14th, Michela's body was found in a cornfield in Galyton County. Gallatin County coroner Tony Cox conducted the autopsy. It was performed on Tuesday, March 16th, and it revealed that Michela had died from a gunshot wound to the head. Now, I'm not exactly sure what evidence the police were able to find that specifically led them to a suspect, but just know that they did and that it led them to 35-year-old Alexander McWilliam. I couldn't find any background information on McWilliam, but it does seem that he was charged with attempted murder in 2018. That July, or July of 2018, prosecutors had filed two charges against McWilliam. Attempted murder and aggravated battery. It was said that McWilliam shot a man in a Harrisburg home. Not sure if it was the man's home or not, just says a Harrisburg home. And it was obvious that he had the intent to kill him. However, his lawyer, Alan Rowe, submitted several pages of documents in November of 2019, and he accused the prosecution of withholding evidence, including contradictory statements from key witnesses during police interviews and a lack of blood evidence at the scene. The defense claimed that obviously the evidence that they would have found would have benefited his case. On April 29th, 2020, however, Prosecutors filed a third charge of obstructing justice. But court records show that on that same day, McWilliam agreed to a plea deal and all the other charges were dropped. A judge sentenced McWilliam to three years in Menard Correctional Center. Records show that he was to serve 50% of that sentence. And he was given credit for more than a year of time, which I think it was 385 days to be exact that he was to serve while this case made its way through the court system. So he was given those 385 days as time served. Now the Illinois Department of Correction records show that McWilliam got out on parole in October of 2020 after seven weeks inside the facility. He had also been wanted by the Illinois Department of Corrections for a parole violation shortly after. So I couldn't really find any other information about these prior charges Um, as it seems like the statements were contradictory and I was able to take a look at that um, several pages (laughs) of documents for to get the charges dismissed against him because it seemed like the person who was shot changed their story a couple of times, um, which of course is suspicious However, if he really is guilty of this attempted murder, which, you know, technically, to the courts, he wasn't. But, you know, in the real world, because obviously we know this, you know, you can be found not guilty of something you absolutely did. And vice versa. We see it all the time. People who are innocent go to jail all the time. So if in, you know, the non-court sense if he was actually like really guilty of this, then we can kind of see that McWilliam has these violent and homicidal tendencies, right? Which then, you know, would make him a perfect prime suspect, wouldn't it? But the whole like um, parole violation, I couldn't find what happened with that. So I don't actually know what it was. However, my guess it might have to do with a weapon. But yeah, like I said, I couldn't find any background information on him as far as what his home life was like as a child, if he suffered any abuse, if he suffered any brain injuries, things like that. So it's hard to say where all of this violence is coming from, but obviously it's coming from somewhere or else he wouldn't be out doing this. Now, according to police testimony, Michela went to the house of another woman in El Dorado, where she met Alexander McWilliam. Hey, True Crime Friends. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, cricut, cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, If you guys haven't noticed, I'm, like, obsessed with Coraline, and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at mandymadeit. That's M-A-N-D-E-E made it on facebook and instagram once again go to mandy made it on facebook and instagram send her a dm and order today look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey (sighs) well that's why they're introducing an all-new bumble With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The testimony does not give a clear relationship of this woman to Michelle, nor the woman's relationship to Alexander McWilliam. But it does appear that this is Michelle's first meeting with McWilliam. The woman continued to say that, allegedly... A fight had broken out between Michela and McWilliam. She claims that McWilliam got angry when he claimed to have seen Michela roll her eyes at him. When Michela denied doing so, he allegedly shot her in the head. Now, of course, this woman being terrified, you know, obviously, after seeing Michela being killed, or at least seemingly, because again, this is her account, this is the only account we have. So, this is all kind of just speculation. But anyway, she, again, supposedly very scared, begged McWilliam for her life. She said then that McWilliam allegedly forced her at gunpoint to help him cover up the murder. She stated that she was forced to help McWilliam put Michela's body into two trash bags. Now, I don't know because I haven't seen it anywhere in my research if she was dismembered, hence like the two trash bags, or if it was just like doubled up, you know, I guess to prevent tearing. And I kind of, you know, tearing of the bag that is. And, you know, personally, I hope it's the latter. But again, I don't know for sure um, from the testimony, or at least from what I've seen from the autopsy report, as far as what has been released, it doesn't seem that that was the case. So, like I said, hopefully... It's just that they just used two trash bags for to put her whole body into. The woman then stated that she was forced to help McWilliam put Michelle's body into the trunk of her own car and drive to rural Galatin County. She stated that McWilliam insisted on using back roads to avoid police. It was said that they drove north on U.S. Route 45 and turned onto Dewey Road in El Dorado and then took that road east until they crossed into the back roads of Glayton County. When they turned onto North Pool Lane in North Folk Township, McWilliam ordered the woman to turn off her car, allegedly. Allegedly, she was then ordered to use her flashlight on her phone and follow McWilliam about 100 yards into a cornfield while he dumped her body mcwilliam then allegedly ordered the woman to drive back to harrisburg clean up the home and gather any evidence of the murder mcwilliam gave the woman allegedly a set of gloves to discard and told her to throw the gun out at the fountain in the city park the handgun was then recovered at the paul Emery park fountain by police which i just have to say that's really odd <laughs> why would you want someone to throw a gun into a fountain that- I mean, I feel like most people know that you shouldn't throw a weapon into a fountain for the fact that, like, you're going to be able to find it. Now, the water of the, the park might, or the water of the fountain might remove fingerprints and other types of DNA evidence just from being in the water to, you know, dilute and wash everything away. But why would you, if you killed someone, why would you want the gun to be that findable. You know, it just does that just that part doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, now Michela's phone was found in the town of El Dorado, but I could not find an explanation as to where or how they found it. And I also couldn't find out like who or how it was disposed of. I'm assuming since this unnamed woman alleges that she was held at gunpoint and forced to do all of this, was also forced to get rid of the phone. Um, possibly, you know, some possibilities are that they could have thrown it out the window on the drive to dispose of Michelle's body, you know, but she also lived in the area, so she could have just disposed of it on her own. You know, either way, I, I we can't entirely say for sure, but that was how they they were able to find her phone there. On March 23rd, 2001, at approximately 12.45 p.m., officers from the Kentucky State Police, U.S. Marshal Service, the Fugitive Task Force, Union County Kentucky Sheriff's Department, and Morgan Field Kentucky Police Department located McWilliams. So, yeah, that's like three, four different (laughs) task forces. On this, However, I will say that there was at least one press conference that I was able to see. They had posted it on Facebook and they do describe McWilliam as being armed and dangerous. So that could also make sense why all of these different police departments and different tasks for different task forces were called for this. So, you know, it makes sense, but it also sometimes seems a little excessive. But not in this case. This case, I think they needed all of these different police departments to locate him and bring him in. Located McWilliam at a hometown inn on the 500 block of U.S. Highway 60E, which was in Morganfield, Kentucky. McWilliam had barricaded himself inside a motel room for approximately two and a half hours, after which authorities safely took him into custody. Which, holy shit. Sadly... I am honestly truly impressed that the police were able to take McWilliam in peacefully without murdering him because he is a 215 pound, 6 foot tall black man. And, you know, with what we've seen in the news, it's just disgusting the way some police officers treat black individuals in our Society. It's absolutely disgusting. But in this case, I am very glad that they were able to bring him in without killing him, therefore, giving him his chance in court. He was then sent to the Webster County, Kentucky jail before being extradited back to Saline County or Saline County. I keep calling it Saline. I'm not sure if it's Saline or Saline. If you know, please message me on Instagram and let me know if I'm right or wrong. Please. The prosecution, led by Molly Wilson Cajun, presented the first pieces of evidence on May 11, 2021. She called Sergeant Jason Cope, who presented the testimony of the unknown woman's account. The judge found enough probable cause to advance the case to trial. The final preliminary hearing was scheduled for July 9 at 1 p.m., and a jury trial was scheduled to begin July 21 at 9 a.m. at the Saline Saline County Courthouse. On May 6th, the court appointed McWilliam an attorney named Alan Rowe. He was a public defender, and he's actually the one who defended him in 2018. And the only reason I know that is because I saw the actual documents from, you know, him saying that, you know, the witness statements were messed up and we didn't get all the evidence and blah, 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 blah. I don't know why he may or may not, he might have done this, but on July 2nd, Roe filed a motion to be taken off this case because he received a letter from a person claiming to have evidence. According to court documents, the attorney, Roe, believed that there was a conflict of interest. He said, counsel represents the potential witness as a defendant in a multiple felony causes. Counsel has met with a potential witness in relation to those pending felonies, and has appeared in court with and on behalf of the potential witness on multiple occasions. So basically, that means he got a letter from someone claiming to have evidence in this case, and he has basically represented the witness. So because he has resep- represented someone who they who says that they are a witness, um he has to recuse himself, because it seems like that case is still going on. So, in order for the witness to not incriminate himself in his own case, that's why he's requesting to be um, removed. So, I know it's a little confusing. I am slightly confused myself as to how all that works. Basically, from my understanding, it's like witnesses slash accomplices can't be on, uh, like, can't be called to other cases to essentially incriminate themselves in another crime that they're being charged for. So if this, so basically it seems like that this witness has information and has come forward in this case with McWilliam. However, because Roe is um, representing him in or this person I don't know if it's a he or she but because they're being represented by this person in another case that may be related that's why. State's attorney Molly Cajun did file a response asking the judge to deny Rose's request saying that they didn't plan on calling on this potential witness to testify during the trial. But if the circumstances changed, that person then has the opportunity to waive their rights to a conflict-free representation. So the judge had been set to make a decision on that motion on July 7th, but McWilliam refused to come to the court after not getting a notice about the hearing, which is weird that they were like he refused after not getting a notice. Just because, I mean, how can you refuse if you don't know? You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's a little weird to me. Um, But either way, it was then, the judge was then set to make a decision for July 13th. On July 13th, the judge approved that notion and Alan Rowe was removed as McWilliams' lawyer. So as of that date, a new attorney has been appointed to McWilliam. Their name is Morgan Scrogan's And the jury pretrial had been pushed from July 21st to July 27th. But it was reported that Scrogan's was on vacation and just needed more time to prepare. As of today, I have not found any other reports of the outcomes of this case. I have not seen that, like, it started on July 27th or anything like that. Or that it was moved or any of that information. So I will keep looking and see if I find anything. I mean, I wish I had more for you, but, um, you know, so if the testimony from the unnamed woman is true, then, you know, I'm expecting that McWilliams will go to prison. I'm not sure if she will be charged in any capacity. Um, like I said, there's a lot of unknown around this case right now. And, Sadly, the one thing that remains true is that Michela Marie Meredith lost her life senselessly. Like, especially if, I mean, obviously murder, I think, is senseless regardless, but specifically if it is because, you know, this dude thinks that she rolled her eyes at him. I mean, it is just one of the stupidest most senseless reasons you could have to kill someone and it really just disgusts me and another thing that annoys me about this case is that i don't know a lot about mcwilliam and i know you're probably like why are you want to know about the murderer it should be more about the victim and you're right it should be more about the victim i agree but a lot of why i enjoy true crime, or enjoy is such a horrible word, but why I'm fascinated and intrigued by true crime is the psychology of a killer, the psychology of who could do this. And in other cases I've covered, we have a more clearer motive. Now, not to say that any of those motives make it okay. It doesn't. It doesn't excuse what a person did, but it offers us some sort of explanation. Something that we can look and dissect and prod and, you know, try to rationalize, I guess, is a better way of looking at that. And with this, we just don't have that because we don't know where these homicidal tendencies came from or what could have caused them. You know, we have the usual suspects. We have child abuse. We have traumatic brain injury. We have mental disorders, mental disease things like that. And, you know, not having any concrete evidence or information as to if any of those things are what triggered it. Uh, Mick Williams homicidal tendencies, that is. You know, then it just kind of leaves me, leaves us sitting here spinning our wheels trying to figure out what happened. How did this, how did he become this way? How did we get to this point Where this 35, I think he's 36 now, year old man can kill a 19-year-old woman. A 19-year-old girl. For what? Because she rolled her eyes? Come on. Like, ugh. Ugh. It's just, you know, like I always say, it's so sad. And just so infuriating. To think that again, if this is really what happened, if this is really what happened to her, that this is what it turned you know, that this is how her story ended. And oh, like I said, to think of it to being as something so stupid, something that most teenagers do all the fucking time. I mean, I do it too, every now and again. And it's just like what? So I guess maybe in some ways that's why I'm kind of in my head anyway, my, in my little brain over here, I've been kind of thinking that maybe it's more mental, but then again, I feel like it's not like everything. It's just not that black and white. There's always a gray, you know? Anyway, my loves, that is all I have for you today. I know it's a shorter case, But, you know, still, you know, I I try to find some of these not as well known cases because I just feel like there's so many people that these horrible things happen to and they deserve to be remembered. Their stories deserve to be told. And that has always been the main goal of this podcast. So, That's why I looked into her case. Like I said, I know it's a smaller one, less known. But I really just wanted to talk about it and make sure that we know what happened to her and that we don't forget. And I just really hope that justice is served for her. And that her family gets the closure and they deserve from this horrific tragedy. And with that, my loves... I will see you all next week. Please stay safe out there. Do all the things to keep yourself healthy. Don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia. And until next week, I will see you later.
1: We hope you enjoyed this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode. You can watch our video versions of our episodes on Patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Join at the price of an iced coffee or join as an Ivory Tower member and get some of our exclusive merchandise. I could not be here without an amazing team. So I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director, and I am joined with Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, who hosts True Crime in Academia. It comes out on Tuesdays. Jaren Usta is our marketing director, and our two interns are Nicole Arguello and Kimberly Dallas. And I'm actually here with Mary. So, Mary, where can they follow us on social media?
0: You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. On Twitter, we are at Ivory Boiler Room. And then just search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook, and you can like our page there.
1: Wonderful. And we. Mary and I and the whole team hope you all are healthy and happy and we can't wait to join you and, you know, have you all join us in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room next week. Bye, everyone.
0: Bye.